Welcome to Phantom Astronaut. I'd like to thank all of the Phantom Astronaut patrons for supporting the show. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, visit phantomastronaut.com for all the different ways that you can help us continue to create. Today, my guest is Ashley Opan, shamanic practitioner and death doula. Hi, Ashley. Thanks for joining me. Hi. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, we don't record these these episodes um, live. So for the audience, uh, we're recording this like in the middle of the tail end of the big Los Angeles rain that we were having. Mm. So today's kind of like the best day that I've had probably in about a week. Luckily, no flooding, anything like that over here. But, um, you know, oh. it's been a little bit wild out here on the West Coast. What about uh, you? You're on the East Coast, right? Yes, I am. So it's mostly just been cold. Like <laughs> it's just cold every day. Um, actually, the past day or two were like the first days we had of like sunshine in like two weeks. So that was actually fantastic. It was nice to actually see the sun and people not, you know, being so sad. <laughs> well, that kind of uh, bringing happiness to the world in one form or another is a great way to kind of kick off a little bit of our conversation because uh in the introduction i call you a shamanic practitioner and a death doula yeah and that's something that uh i talked about very very briefly with a previous guest uh there's an episode that i did with a mortuary science professor named ben schmidt and uh, we were talking about all of the different sort of changes that have been going on in the end of life, for lack of a better term, industry. I don't really like calling yeah. it that, but you know. Mm -hmm. And one thing that that I had brought up was that uh, over the last decade, I've seen an increase in people offering services as death doulas. And I'm kind of familiar with everything that entails, but why don't you tell my audience what that is and how you got involved in doing that? Sure. So. A death doula, so some people call them death midwives. Um, those are usually the two terms people use the most, um, are somebody who help someone go through the dying process. So that can start from the beginning and it can start from pre-planning. A lot of people don't think, always think so much ahead or they do and they'll have something like a living will, which is saying, listen, this is what I want. If in the, in the event that I can't speak for myself, I want X, Y, and Z, or um, I don't want this in the event of X, Y, and Z. So people start there, but then there's also things like belongings. People don't usually assign, unless they have a will, unless they have a lot of uh, maybe material things, expensive things, sometimes they'll do that. But there's other things people may not, um, have spoken to the people that they, maybe they wish they always spoke to, death duels help with that, or they have things they want to accomplish, or they want to make um, memory projects, or they do things where they uh, map out their life or look at their life through pictures, through projects, through writing, all different sorts of things. So people, it can start from that pre-planning phase um, or advanced planning as a lot of people call it. And then it can go all the way to the person actually dying um, the process of dying is that something that not everybody knows what it looks like. So also there's a lot of education being done with families and some death doulas actually sit with a person while they are actively dying. And then it can also go to the post-mortem state of it, which is helping the family after death. One thing I always thought was so interesting that like people don't think a lot about is when families are grieving, the last thing they want to do is like go cancel credit cards, you know, go call the bank, go call this. So death doulas can help with that aspect of things too. And they can also help people do things, especially now with a lot of people being very environmentally conscious or trying to not just give all their money to a funeral home where they feel that they may not be taken care of. And that's not to say that all funeral homes are like that, but some are. Um, 
they can have home funerals and a lot of death doulas help people organize those make sure they're following all the state ordinances and get everything arranged for that or if they want to have an alternative type of funeral somewhere else uh, or even a natural burial that's something a lot of people have started being really interested in death doulas help with arranging all of that explaining how that's going to work to the family let me th oh they just do so many things um so <laughs> that's some of the things that death doulas do um the way that i got into it was from a young age the cult like in my culture there's we have very large funerals our funerals are like weddings and i always explain that to people like we have very large funerals we have seven day funerals we have specific traditions that go into the funeral we have specific things that we wear it's very ritualistic and it's something that i was very used to growing up i had been to funerals i've been to wakes the way that i was used to seeing it when i got a little bit older i think i was in high school um, one of the choir teachers who I wasn't in choir, but I was in bands and we all hung out together. So I knew the choir teacher. She passed away. She was a very, very lovely woman. And I remember going to the funeral and she was an American woman. And so she had a traditional American funeral, which I had never been to. So I went and I was like, this is very interesting. So just uh, to also to preface, in my culture, at funerals like the funeral part when people are being buried there's a lot of wailing there's a lot of throwing yourself down like it's very dramatic like other people would be like this is a lot like <laughs> like even for death this is too much um and, like, and, and ashley what yeah. uh what what culture is that that you're speaking of yeah so um i'm ashanti so this is we're a big tribe in ghana um but a lot of at least I can speak for West African people have kind of similar traditions. So whether it's uh, Liberia, Sierra Leone, Nigeria, a lot of us have kind of similar funerary practices. They're usually very large and very, um, there's festival parts, there's fun parts, there's sad parts. Um, so yeah, so that's what I'm used to. I'm used to women throwing themselves into the grave. I'm used to women wailing and screaming. When I went to this funeral, everybody was very reserved and very quiet and crying very like silently. And I was like, is everybody okay? Like, um, <laughs> I don't know, are you guys all right? Because you're not emoting the way I expected everyone to emote. And then I realized this was like typical for Western funerals. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. Um, I feel like everyone is way sadder than they're putting on. And I was like, I feel like everyone isn't emoting and feeling all their feelings. And I was very interested in, in just how this was very normal. And then learning, I from there, I kind of started learning all these different things about um, how people don't really get that much time to grieve before they have to go back to work. And I'm like, but you need more time to grieve. You need this and that. And then on the other side of that, I'm also somebody who's always loved mythology and religion. So I love learning about um, the afterlife and what people believe. So that always really fascinated me. Then later in my life, when I went to college, I became a nurse. So that's what I currently do for my muggle job, as I say. Um, <laughs> I'm a registered nurse. So I learned even more about the death process that way. And then I became a hospice nurse for a while. And now I work in oncology. So I do see and have to deal with a lot of death and death conversations. Um, and it's when I looked at like, huh, how can I help people through this process? Because as what, especially when I worked in hospice, I saw a lot of holes. Like there's a lot of education that isn't being done. There's a lot of things while hospice is an amazing resource. I don't want to, I'm not trying to hear the shit on hospice. Sorry. I don't know if I can say that shit. Um, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Fine, sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not here to like poo poo hospice at all because hospice is amazing. Um, but I just saw holes like, you know, every or everybody can't do everything. So I found out about death doulas and I was like, wow, this is really interesting. Especially when I left hospice, I was like, well, 
I would love to continue death work in this way. It seemed a little bit more um, holistic and I wanted to get a little bit away from the clinical side. I didn't really want to do that as like a side thing, honestly. I wanted to just really dig into the education of it, the helping people through that aspect, because there isn't a lot of education on how death works at all. Like people know people die. We all know that. But when people are dying, it's such a highly emotional time that there's a lot of things people, when you're dealing, especially when you're dealing with a loved one, a lot of things people don't, don't do because they don't know. So it's, it's just something that I want to help as well as all the other amazing death workers in the world. I want to help kind of bridge that gap with everybody. Mm. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to, uh, to kind of dig into with, with everything that you said. So uh, <laughs> let me, uh, let me share a couple of, of, of personal anecdotes that, that touch on different things. Um, mm-hmm. The first of which is that I'm, I, I'm always very interested in, in, kind of what's what's common or or spiritually culturally accepted around around death and things like that especially in west africa because um you know looking at me i'm like incredibly bright glowing like a light bulb white person but uh a quarter of my family my grandfather's uh side of the family they actually uh, came from senegal uh to mm. the americas as uh, uh sugar plantation slaves in the caribbean so, um, you know, I'm always kind of interested in, in that aspect of, of my ancestry in terms of kind of like connecting some of those dots. So that's really interesting to, to know that. Mm-hmm. And in terms of, of death over the past 10 years, I mean, I've lost my grandfather. Uh, my wife lost her mother, father, and grandmother, lost mm-hmm. my grandmother, two grandmothers. Um, so we've, we've had a lot in that span of time of experience with death and the, not just the esoteric aspects of it, but the, the practical aspects, which you, you also address very much as a, uh, as a death midwife. So I, I guess like what we would do in my side of the family, mm-hmm. my wife is also multi, uh, multiracial and she was, uh, she's, uh, part, you know, American white English and half Japanese. Her mother was from, Tokyo and my wife lived in Japan for for quite some time. Mm-hmm. So when her mother passed away, there was all there was like a little bit of a rift because uh the father's side of the family was I I want to say Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. Um and you know of course you know she gave a little bit of lip service to that but but her and her family and everything like that they you know are very traditional in terms of like the Japanese traditions with Shinto and all all that kind of stuff and so there mm-hmm. was a little bit of a rift of you know how do we reconcile this on our side of things um you know my grandmother was catholic but she wasn't necessarily practicing um some of these other people that we've lost we don't know what to do so mm-hmm. uh i have <laughs> i have ancestors i have like my great grandmother who's literally just in a, a she's just ashes in a cardboard box cuz we don't know what to do with mm-hmm. with her we don't have any burial traditions we just don't ha- we just aren't aren't equipped so mm-hmm. from your perspective um what is it like trying to navigate the wishes of family versus the wishes of individual versus cultural norms like how do you balance all three of those things together yeah so that can be really difficult and that's one place that i think death doulas, death midwives can all thrive. So because we're like the person's advocate, it comes into play like, and we hope, and what our our best scenarios are is when the person is still alive to tell us what they want. So of course, you know, always that's the best scenario. Um, But the other thing is always, to try to find people who the person trusted, the person was really, really close to. If the person had a particular sibling or particular child that you know they were really close to, we try to go to them and say like, well, what do you think they wanted? And hopefully people also have written it down. That's why I always encourage people, write stuff down if you want something specific. Um, And in terms of culture, these kinds of things happen a lot and it can be really difficult 
But again, you just do your best to kind of think of what this person was. If the person wasn't religious and everybody's like, well, they weren't religious, but we need to have a Catholic funeral. You know, it's kind of, you, you can't, if the person isn't with us anymore, it's hard to go against family. But you try to say, well, do you know what the person really wanted? Were they more of kind of a spiritual person? Were they more secular? Um, were they just, you know, religious to, to show that they were religious? Because some people are, it's not a big deal. And with culture, I always, again, if, if it's before, which I, which is ideal, try to ask the person, is this, are these cultural things important to you? Some people don't care and that's fine. And some people really care. And they say, I really want this X, Y, and Z. Um, one way that a lot of these things come up and I've, I've seen it and I've heard from, especially death doulas who work a lot with LGBTQ communities, because there will be a lot of issues sometimes with people, especially trans people who their family was maybe not accepting of them being trans. And then they want to bury this person with their dead name, which is not acceptable. So in those cases, those these death doulas who are doing that work, they're usually the biggest advocates for those people, you know, and trying to bring their friends if they don't have specific biological family bring their friend family and be like no these people knew this person and this is what they wanted and that's our whole goal is to just try to know the person beforehand to say okay what is it that they wanted how did they live their life and sometimes you get clues by just knowing the person and how they live their life oh this person wants to have a big their family wants to have a big catholic funeral but aunt mary never went to church like, she wasn't even into that. Like, Aunt Mary didn't own a Bible, which is 100% fine. But like, then why aren't we having a big Catholic funeral if Aunt Mary didn't even really care? Like, so you just try to get to know people and know them through their family and see what they wanted. Or in the case of like you were talking about, like having ashes, sometimes people get like, oh, what do we do? What do we do? And I'm say, my biggest thing is if you want to spread them, spread them somewhere that you know that person enjoyed. Um, and if you'd rather keep them, that's fine too. But just anywhere, I mean, if you want to, sometimes I've, I've done this with people when they get very upset about, oh, well, I don't know where to do it. First, I say, if you want to keep it, keep it. But if you want to spread them, spread them. And also, if the person is spiritual and I can talk to them on that level, I say, listen, this is just their body material, right? So wherever you scatter it on earth, it doesn't matter because their soul is no longer here. So they're somewhere much better, much happier, much healthier. Don't worry. I don't think they're going to be angry with you. I don't think they're going to worry about it. Wherever you feel that it's it's good for you and whenever it feels it's good for you to spread it, go ahead. And if it never feels good, that's okay. You know? Mm. Yeah. See, I, I don't know. This is going to be a little bit weird. I, I haven't it's talked not. about go this ahead. on the I haven't talked about this on the show before, but, um, you know, I've, a, I have a really, really strong connection with, uh, with the pets that I, I have over the years. Right. Mm. I think a lot of people do like when you, yes. when you have them there, you know, I guess if you don't have a strong connection with, with animals, you know, you might not be able to, um, recognize the level of communication and emotion and you know everything that they share with you like a human friendship right mm -hmm. and uh you know i love them very very much and uh two of them passed away from from old age and uh, they were brother and sister they were cats um oh what gosh. oh yeah they were uh, shadow and fortuna and the the, the girl <laughs> passed away a couple of years after the boy he had cancer and he he passed away early but um what i had done is i had a a special urn made uh from this artist and both of their sets of ashes are self-contained, but within this urn. And what's nice is uh, on top of it, I have like a little oil lamp. So mm -hmm. what I can do is, you know, if I'm ever feeling like, uh, you know, I want to reconnect or, or meditate on them or, you know, whatever else you want to call it, I can sort of like light that, that little lamp and I can have like a nice quiet, space and time and you know gather my thoughts and stuff there so i mean that's that's one thing and that's i guess again like a personal choice about how you deal with these things but you know it it is different for when there's other people that are that are involved and other powers that are you know wanting to have time with with something you know 
So, you know, making sure who gets access to, to what, when is very important. Mm -hmm. Like, so just on that note, I, I like animals, right? I don't have a pet, but I was always like, yeah, animals are fine, blah, blah, blah. There actually is a whole space for pet doulas, like people who literally deal with um, just pet deaths because it, it is so like, you know, it's, it's a member of your family. And I never really understood that connection, but it's fine. It's not a big deal. So my sister recently got a dog and I kid you not, I was in bed the other night crying, thinking about how this dog is going to die one day. <laughs> I was like, I, I'm obsessed with my sister's dog. Like I, like, I sometimes am sad and I just go on my phone and I look at pictures of my sister's dog or I'll text her be like, can you text me a picture of her? And she does. And now I'm like, I get pet people. Like, I, <laughs> this isn't even my dog. And I'm like, I go to the store. I'm like, oh, do I think she would like this? I'm going to get her these different types of treats. I get it now. And I apologize to pet people that I didn't get it before. I feel you on a spiritual level now. And it's, I know. And I told my sister, like, before she got this dog, I was like, listen, you know, cause she didn't, we, she had never had a pet. We, we didn't really have pets growing up or anything like that. So I was like, listen, you know that this dog is gonna die before you, right? And she's like, yeah, but I'm ready. Like, I love her, she's the best. I was like, okay, whatever you say. Like, and I thought it's like, okay, cool. She's getting a dog, obsessed, completely. I miss her right now, honestly. I haven't seen her in three days. And I'm like, I gotta go see this dog. <laughs> she's so cute. So like, I get it. And now I totally understand like that feeling of because they become like your they literally are your friends and like they're your family members and you love them and you're with they live in your house like, like, so like oh no part. for real so when uh when my wife's father passed away he was um outlived by his cat fiona oh. and so you know we we had to kind of figure out you know how to deal with fiona because she had health issues and everything like that and we're this is a bit controversial to say and i don't want to veer too long into like the animal thing but uh we haven't ever put animals down mm -hmm. and there's there's controversy you know some people say we'll put them out of you know their their pain or or this or that but you know we we try to communicate with them and we try to ascertain whether they want to be done right yeah. mm -hmm. and you know all the animals that that we've we've had all of our, our our pets they have always very actively communicated like you know they want to be on our chest they want to be like around us they they you know they get a little bit scared you know when we're not in the room with them when they're like you know in, like in the death phase mm -hmm. and i i think that like well, I'll, let me just show you this. This is a, this is going to be kind of funny. And anybody, unfortunately, we're not doing the video, but I can describe this to you. Let me see if I can actually even show it through the camera. Let me see if you can get a good look at this. So, mm -hmm. what you're seeing here, that's Fiona uh, with the uh, the blanket on the yeah. far side. That's my wife, and um, whoop, the other animal uh, that's in front. That's my cat Floki. And what you can see is my wife has her hand on Fio's hand, and mm -hmm. my other cat Floki has reached out his hand onto my wife's arm and they're oh. making this sort of triangle together. That was the day that Fiona passed away. Um, oh my God. So that's when I, when I say how like emotionally intelligent, you know, these, these pets that like share your space with you are, I mean, like that's such an incredible amount of empathy and understanding that's being expressed, yes. you know? 100%. And to be honest, like, and it even goes back to people because one thing, like I said, now I work in oncology and it's a different world than hospice, obviously, but we see a lot of the same things. We see people, and because they're not on hospice yet, we have patients who they are done. And it's so hard for family members to accept that, of course nobody wants their family member to not be around we all wish that our family members and our pets could live forever with us healthily and we could be healthy and all that kind of stuff but 
that's why that's another thing that death doulas try to be advocates for when people say you know what mm, i don't want to do this anymore I'm, I'm tired of this you know i've come to the end of my life it's so important just kind of like what your wife did because she didn't have to say it to them but it's almost like a, a support and an acceptance it's like hey listen i'm here whatever you need i'm here and this actually just happened last week a co-worker of mine who i love and adore her father who was elderly he's in his 90s was sick for a few weeks he was not that long but she came to work she was very upset she was telling us how she was they were putting her father on hospice and we were all you know comforting her and she decided with her siblings they were going to go over that evening and just let him know like it's okay he wasn't really eating he was forcing himself to eat um, and she's like, I think he's doing it to make us happy because he knows that like we want him to get better. But at this point, he's not going to get better. They went over there in the evening time that same day. They told him, listen, like, it's all right. We just want you to know we all love you. She has a large family. They called everybody. Everybody was in and out of the house, telling him, talking to him. Literally 12 hours later, he died. And there is this is a trend that happens a lot i've seen it throughout my whole nursing career and most medical people will tell you they've probably seen it too when there is that support and love and acceptance whether it is an animal whether it is a person any living thing when they feel that like okay it's okay you know whatever has to happen now happens they do tend to let go at that point we've seen i remember i've seen people whose siblings or family members live across the country and this person was supposed to die today like their vital signs are terrible like everything is like medically speaking this person should probably be dead right now and they will not die till that person gets there and that happens all the time it's like it's fun like it's just a thing that happens like it's a spiritual love i think that people have for each other and i think they want to wait they want to know that everyone's going to be fine once they realize okay everybody's okay and i'm going to be okay and i'm surrounded by all this love then they do tend to go like it, it's very common hmm. and you're a, a very young person and you know i'm, I'm obviously we're not going to talk about it <laughs> we're not going to talk about age but you know you're, you're you know you're obviously a very mature and well-centered adult but you're still a very young person in the grand scheme of things and it makes me wonder a little bit about your personal relationship with, with death. Cause I, I'm terrified of dying. I, mm. I, I just um, like it, it. It's one of those things where I'll start to fall asleep at night and mm. in the back of my head, I'll hear like, Oh, is this what it's going to feel like when you die? And then I'll suddenly be awake and I'll be up for like six more hours. Oh no! Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, it, it, it makes me wonder like somebody who, you know, is within your age range who experiences death so frequently and comforts people through the process, both the dying person and the people around them. What is your personal relationship to it at this point? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because nobody ever asked me that. So thanks. Um, <laughs> um, I, I know it sounds crazy, I don't know, I'm like, this is not like a flex or anything, but I've never really been afraid of death. Um, I think growing up, I've, like I said, I've always been really, I'm like love religion and mythology. I didn't grow up super, super religious, but I did go to church. Like I, I was raised Catholic to a degree, not super serious, but um, I went to church with my dad and, and I would talk to him about these types of things all the time. My dad and me used to have these conversations and I used, and when I was a kid, I was terrified of death. And maybe I remember being like four and talking to my dad about it and be like, I do not want to die. And one day getting so upset and realizing like, you're going to die. Mom is going to die. I'm going to die. I was like, I was like having a four-year-old having like a spiritual crisis. Like, what am I going to do? <laughs> and my dad was like, listen, when you die, everything is okay because you're with God and everything is fine. Like you're literally fine. Nothing hurts. Like I was kids. So the way he explained it was nothing hurts. Nothing is bad. 
everything is good and that's it and you have nothing to worry about at that point and I was like that's it and he's like yeah and it's okay and I was like and it's fine he's like of course it's fine because you're going to go with God and you'll be fine so when I was a kid when I heard that for some reason it just put me in a space as like wow there's literally not to me at least I was like there's nothing to be afraid of because there's an ultimate peace like when you die there's nothing to worry about ever we every single day of our lives no matter how rich how um mentally uh put together you are you wake up and there's something to do and there's something to worry about and there's and it's like when you die there is not there's just isn't there's just peace and when i think about those types of things i realize I was like, I'm not afraid of it because number one, it's going to happen. And to anybody who's listening, it's like, now I have profound anxiety because this woman keeps going on about this. I'm sorry. I'm like, <laughs> like, like, I, it's like it's like, going to happen. I yeah, don't it's, it's inevitable. I don't think Who that's said what it? people are taking away from it. I okay. Don't <laughs> like, was it like Ben Franklin said, like, the only two inevitable things are like death and taxes or whatever. But like, it's like you're, you're, it's just gonna happen and there's no there's nothing nothing is wrong at that point and even if you don't believe that there's anything after that that's fine but then there's just nothing and it's fine like like it's not you know so i totally understand that fear of death because it's unknown and we don't we we like to know what's going to happen everybody wants to know we've all been trying to figure it out for thousands of years but and the end is the end and there's no pain and I think also I've seen in my career, I've seen so, so much suffering sometimes that I'm like, you know, it's not always bad. It's, it can be so freeing for people like that. They just don't have to deal with pain. They don't have to deal with all this stuff. Now for the loved ones left behind, it's painful. It's grief. It's difficult and it's awful, but for them sometimes it frees them from whatever they didn't want to be a part of anymore or whatever their body couldn't take anymore and and the other thing that i learned through my so far in my life um especially when i started working hospice was just like it made me enjoy my life more because i was like i see now how short it is I see like this can happen anytime. And I know people my age who've died, people I went to school with and all these types of things. I'm like, you just don't know. So it's just like every moment of your life, you need to just at least try to make the best of it. Even if, you know, whatever, you have to do your mundane stuff every day, but trying to make the best of every day was kind of what I always try to take away from it. Hmm. What kind of uh, advice do you have? I'm going to give you an anecdote. Um, mm -hmm. about something that happened to me and maybe you have some wisdom to impart to people. So this is probably about 15 years ago, maybe a little bit more. And uh, I was with two friends, uh, one of them, this woman, uh, we were on the subway and she'd gotten a, a message that her cousin had passed away and it wasn't unexpected. He was uh, pretty young. He was about eight years old, but you know, he had medical complications and he'd, uh, you know, essentially been, you know, in the hospital since mm -hmm. almost the time that he was born. So this wasn't something that kind of came out of the clear blue sky, but she was so, uh, you know, distraught about it. And in, in trying to, I don't know, comfort her, make it better in some way, what I'd said to her was, I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry that this happened. You know, it's, it's terrible that you lost your cousin, you know, but I, uh, you know, if there's any, nice thing to think about is that, you know, he was always surrounded by people that loved him and, you know, he didn't, you know, experience many things in the world, you know, in terms of people being cruel to him and things. So even though it was a short life, he, you know, he had a, a life where he was, he was well loved and knew almost nothing but, you know, this wonderful unconditional love. So, mm -hmm. you know, maybe that's something you can, you can sort of take some solace in. And she got so mad. She started hitting me. She was screaming. Mm. She was like, you sound like you're jealous of a kid. You don't like your life and blah, blah, blah. And people, you mm. think people are mean to you. And I'm like, okay, you're taking a lot from this that I didn't 
put into that. I don't know. So yeah. I don't know, like, what advice do you think you have for, for people who uh, are trying to say something positive or, or, or encouraging to like a, a coworker or a friend or, or somebody who's experiencing grief? Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> it is so, this is one of the most difficult things ever. So another thing that um, I do um, in my life is I, I volunteer for a group um, where we facilitate groups for different types of loss. Um, it's usually for people who have lost kids um, is one way or another, whether it's their own children, brothers and sisters. So the group that I facilitate is people who have lost their kids. Um, and we have these conversations constantly. Like they are the ones telling me like what people say to them that pisses them off. Like, or, like <laughs> that's one of our many conversations that we have in the group that always a lot, there's always a lot of laughter with that unbelievably. Um, but I think when it comes to death, there's never really a right thing to say. And people get very, um, nervous because they're like oh, i don't know how to broach this topic with this person but one thing i always tell people is the first thing you can say is like hey how are you i'm so sorry and sometimes you just say i'm sorry and let people tell you if they want to talk about it great if they don't that's fine i'm not saying to change the subject and do something else but let them talk about it another thing is especially I see this a lot in my group and my child loss group is people always say like, I want to talk about my kid, but I feel like everyone else is going to be uncomfortable. Like, I feel like everyone's going to freak out. Them talking about my person who died. Um, allow people to just do what they want to do. The best thing you can ever do is honestly just say to people, what do you need? Do you need anything? Like anything you want to say to me? Maybe you want to talk about, because like you said, some people will react like that, you know, and of course what you were saying, you were trying to help, but then some people don't take that as helpful. Some people be like, well, you're making light of it when obviously you are 100% not, but like people will say that. And then people do try to say a lot of time people hate people say, well, this so-and-so is in, this is not what you said, but people will say, oh, so-and-so is in a better place. People don't want to hear that shit. Like, Sorry again. Um, oh, no, <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Okay, people don't want to hear that. Like, 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 you know, their loved one just died. They don't want them to be in a better place. They want them to be here with them. So it's like, it's so hard because everyone's trying to say the right thing and not mess up. But I think the best thing to do is just say, hey, listen, I'm so sorry. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And you can say, how do you feel? Like, honestly, sometimes just say, how do you feel about that? Like, how do you feel? Is there anything I can do for you? and stop and you can stop it there it's if you don't go on about it it's okay you know because you don't know what to say and you don't know how the person is reacting especially something like you're literally on a subway and the person gets that news right there so you're just like hey like what's up what do you want to do are you okay is there anything you want you want to change our plans you want to do something else you know and i think sometimes you can just do that and then also not when time goes by not forgetting that person because a lot of people talk about how like oh in the beginning everybody would talk to me and then people kind of move away from them they don't want to talk to them because oh the person she gets upset every time we bring it up no people don't they don't want you to move away from them they don't want you to hover maybe but just reach out every now and again hey how you doing everything okay you need anything and i think people appreciate that more than anything just to know that you're still there, you still value, you still care about them, you know, after the death or so yeah, I think it's just people just just ask people what they need what they want. And you don't have to say anything specific, just just find out from them what, what you can help them with, I think is it the best answer. I mean, now. that's, that's such valuable information, because we, and I understand that the the American culture quote unquote, mm -hmm. is this awesome, intricate patchwork of so many different cultures. Mm -hmm. But um, there are some things that are that are kind of broad and prevalent within the society that we live in. And one of those things is that we don't really talk about death. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, people are, are ill equipped for the things that we just talked about partially because of that, because it is so taboo. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. yeah. Have you thought about, uh, you know, anything related to how that could change for the better in society? Should we be more open about it? Yeah. So 100%, I think people need to be more open about talking about it. I feel like we also have this thing where everybody's like, oh, I don't want anyone to be sad. Don't be sad. Don't ever be sad. Everyone must be happy. Everyone must be okay. And it's okay to just not be okay sometimes. You're just not. Nobody is going to be all right all the time. And it's okay to broach these subjects with care. And there's also a lot of different communities. Like you said, the uh, America is a giant patchwork. Um, there's a lot of communities where people are superstitious and be like, well, if you talk about death, someone's going to die. Well, we're all going to die anyway. So might as well just bring it up now. Like, like you know, let's get it over with. Um, so, um, I, yeah, I think it's super important to have these conversations because the more comfortable that we get talking about death, the easier, not, okay, easier is not a, a good word. The better we can grieve because grieving is going to happen regardless and grieving looks different for different people grieving can be being sad and grieving can be being angry grieving can be can can be can being confused can be a bunch of different things and when we are having the conversation about it we we can at least be prepared for the fact that this is something that is inevitable and i think Unfortunately, with rates of like opioid abuse, I feel that it has also really put that into perspective. It's something that people need to talk about a lot because people die of opioid abuse a lot. And when we don't talk and, you know, addiction is something, it's a disease that we're, we try to manage for people, but it's not always managed and it's not always manageable and it can destroy families and mess people up. But once we're open about it and we, oh, we talk about addiction, it makes things easier for everybody. Not that it's okay, but it makes it like, at least we understand it better, right? Now we understand it's a disease. We understand that it's not something that we can always just fix really easily. Um, and it comes with a lot of other mental disorders that go along with it. So I think when we talk about grief, not that it makes it easy, but it does make it something that we can all sit around and have a conversation about. and everyone doesn't have to get angry or upset. We can just say, this is what it is. This is what's going to happen. This is how we want to start dealing with it now. And especially now going to people like who, people who are dying, people who are in hospice, things like that, no matter their age, the grief process actually starts before that. And when we start talking about dying, unfortunately, before that, we start getting prepared for our grief going forward. And it, it makes for a healthier journey dealing with their grief than people just being all of a sudden shocked and not being able to function because they're like, I didn't realize, I didn't understand this was going to happen. So I think, yeah, it's really important for everybody to have these conversations when they can, when it's comfortable for them, because I think it's just going to make everybody, our society healthier. Mm. It, you know, I, I was in Japan uh, a couple of years ago for the cousin of my wife's wedding. Uh, her name was Miki. And it was actually kind of funny. This is, this is how intertwined death is in some other cultures, just to put this into perspective for the audience. Um, they, uh, I'm, I'm a pretty big guy. I've got, you know, broad shoulders, you know, just big, like linebacker looking dude. I know it doesn't quite maybe look that way through the camera because of the perspective, but um, <laughs> I'm a little bit intimidating in, in real life. And I'm aware of that. And in Japan, uh, where people are, you know, even broadly smaller than they are, you know, here in the US, I'm, you know, I'm even like double as intimidating. <laughs> what happened was um, uh, my wife's uncle, he took me aside and, you know, he, he says to me, he's like, hey, I need you to stand over here in front of this door because uh, we're, I just need you to stand over here. Just don't let anybody out when I, mm. and I'm like, oh, okay. So the, he goes <laughs> and he like closes the door and then he tells me, he's like, I'm here, stand here. So I'm standing in front of these locked doors and he goes over and he starts whispering to these, uh, to these old, uh, old men. And I'm guessing they're like the, the bride and the grooms like grandparents and you know mm -hmm. uncles and stuff like that all you know elderly people 
And as soon as he's like whispering to them, they all freak out and they start running to me and they're like trying to push their way past me and, and, and open the doors and everything. And, and I'm like, what is going on? Why am I, why am I the bouncer? <laughs> and uh, then later it was explained to me, he's like, oh, we didn't want to tell you, but um, because Miki is having a Christianized wedding mm -hmm. and she wasn't religiously Christian in Japan, they have these like Western chapels that are kind of like a novelty thing where they have mm. like a faux Christian ceremony. It's more of a, it's more of like a fashionable thing than a, than a spiritual thing. It's kind of funny. Mm -hmm. And uh, these these men were like so freaked out because they thought they were uh, they thought everyone was going to get ready and then go to the shrine for the mm -hmm. for the wedding. And mm -hmm. um, why they were freaking out was because, like, I guess if you don't have the life milestone events and stuff at the shrine, mm -hmm. they're in, in their spiritual tradition, they think that your soul won't be able to find its way back to the shrine and be with like all the other ancestral ghosts at the shrine. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> One of these things were like, oh, we could have used a death duel at the wedding. That would have been. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody, it's going to be okay. <laughs> Don't worry. They were terrified. They were absolutely horrified that, uh, that we had, that they hadn't considered. They're like, but when you die, you don't under, where are you going to go? You, yeah. you got to come here. <laughs> Just like random fashion chapel, like no. I know. <laughs> but that—that's how radically different like other cultures approach it. And there was a uh, there was another woman that I used to work with, um, and she was I think half Chinese, half Cambodian, and her father had been, had passed away several years ago. And sometimes she would uh, once a year take off from work uh, so she could go to the uh, the gravesite. And one of the traditions that they have is there are artisans that make paper replicas are you do you know about this i think they, i've heard of something like this yeah you can like make a pay you can have a paper car made like a porsche you can have like mm -hmm. a, a you know a little paper mansion whatever and they bring it to the grave and they burn it um mm -hmm. and then as it sort of transubstantiates into the astral plane that is a gift that manifests for them in a tangible way in the afterlife. So every year it's almost like a, uh, like a spiritual birthday present that they are yeah. their loved one. I think that was kind of cool too, but we, uh, we don't have these kinds of things broadly, you know, on that baseline of, you know, whatever that United States sort of mildly Christian underpinnings of everything combined mm -hmm. with, you know, in incredibly secular kind of mechanisms and not wanting to, you know, step on anybody or offend anybody, you know, who may have a, a different practice. So we just kind of don't talk about it. And so we, yeah. we end up in a situation where I think we are very much disconnected from, uh, from death and from our own acceptance of death. Yeah, 100%. I think ritual is so important. Ritual brings things together. I actually, was reading recently about the puritans and how they had such a lack of ritual that it actually caused problems and then they ended up doing a bunch of like folk magic because they had no rituals so it became a problem for everybody because but like people love rituals we love doing things in a certain way having these practices because like you said it connects us to who we are it connects us to our cultural and ancestral heritages in a lot of places um and if you think which a lot of cultures do that we are just on a different plane you know than the other people who have died it those rituals still connect us and keep us together you know even though we can't see them or hear them it's like these things keep us that we know they're there and we know they're they're granting us you know, our prayers and things like that. So yeah, it's it's very, it's very important. I think a lot of different places people are trying to come up with ritual rituals, whether they're religious, cultural, secular, because they think people are seeing now the value of that and also seeing what happens when we don't have rituals. We have this like weird disconnection from it. Mm. So if somebody is in a situation where they are anticipating end of life, you know, be that from a long-term disease or, or whatever have you, just maybe even advanced age, what do you suggest that they, they look for in a death doula? 
Okay. So I think if, if the person has, first of all, I would always speak to somebody if they say they called me and, or asked me, what, what do you think I should do? Or who do you think I should talk to? I say, what are your goals with this? Is it that you have things that, do you have your plans in place? Do you know where your things are going to go? Do you know who, is there anybody that you want to talk to? You want to um, make sure that you clear the air with somebody before you feel that you're going to go. Do you have a specific wishes for your funeral? Now there's different people and different people have different needs. Some people will just say, well, I want someone to help me plan my funeral because I want this very specific type of funeral. I want a natural burial. I want to be buried here. I want to be buried there. I'd say then there's death doulas who literally just do that. There's death doulas who literally just do any specialty. If someone says, I want to make myself a project i want to do a legacy project where i tell my stories and i leave them for my kids so that everybody can know these stories i want to make a book i want to do this that you can find a death doula who just does legacy projects and does that kind of thing so it just depends on their goals but just starting by literally googling or having someone help you look and google for a death doula in your state because they're they exist um, on many different websites, it's easy to find them now. Um, and just asking, hey, do you do this? Do you do that? These are my goals. Are these things that you can help me with? Most death doulas, I've never met a death doula who was like money hungry. They don't do that. <laughs> like oh, they, they, they're all mostly doing it just because they really love it and they really want to help people. So, and if they know some, I know certain people who are really good with home funerals. I know people who are really good with 11th hour meaning sitting with people while they're dying and i'll be like oh yeah you should call so and so you should do this so you find one you find us all <laughs> like you know it just depends on your goals yeah well thank you ashley this has been a wonderful conversation i really appreciate your time how can people find out more about you and everything that you do all your socials everything yeah so um you can find me on Instagram. I'm on Instagram and threads sometimes when I'm in the mood. Um, <laughs> Sankofa HS. Um, that's spelled S-A-N-K-O-F-A-H-S. I also have a podcast called Dine with the Divine where I talk about mythology, religion, and culture. And on Instagram and threads and YouTube, that's at Dine with the Divine. Um, and you can email me at Sankofa Healing Sanctuary at gmail.com. Anytime, if you have any questions, you can DM me on any of those socials. Yeah, you can get at me in many different ways. Thanks again, Ashley. This has been wonderful. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been so fun. Thank you. Visit phantomastronaut.com for all of the different ways that you can help us to continue to create. And I will see you out there.